Welcome to all of you who are in the chapel and those of you online on Facebook. So good to have you all here. I'm going to do something they tell us not to do in seminary. They tell you not to um, wait till the end to get to your text. And so I'm not going to wait till the end, but I'm going to get close, all right, before we get to the text today. But we are going to get there, so just stay with me. Let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever heard of Matt Emmons? Anybody? Matt Emmons. Matt Emmons is an uh, interesting guy. He is, a, uh, he is an Olympian, a gold medal Olympian. And in the summer of 2004 at the Olympics that were held in Athens, Greece that year, Matt was um, the best in the world at his sport. Um, he was the top of the top, and he was, uh, he was competing, and he was up for his second gold medal of the Olympics when he made a disastrous mistake. Matt was holding a commanding lead in the, are you ready for it? Here's his sport, the 50-meter three-position rifle final. Now, how many of you, when you watch the Olympics, that's the one you go to? Anybody? No, I didn't think so. I had one lady in the second service raise her hand, and I was like, she is lying. She is lying. I was like, she don't even know what that is. I think she just got confused, thought I was calling for a commitment or something. She, she raised her hand. He was in the 50-meter three-position rifle final, and he, all he had to do was shoot one more shot, and all that shot had to do was hit the target. He didn't have to hit a bullseye. He just had to hit the target, and he wins the gold medal. That's how much of a lead he had. So he's ahead after nine shots, only needed to get near or hit the target, and he sights it in, sights it in, and it's a weird-looking rifle if you've ever seen one. He sights that thing in, and he fires. On the, next to each shooter in each lane, there's a little computer screen so they can see uh, the target. He looked at the screen, and it didn't register, so he called for a recalibration. It needed to be reset, and so the official came over and recalibrated the machine, and they looked again, and still, there was no shot. So it called for an official review. Where did, where did his bullet go? So after the official review, they looked, and they come to find out that as Matt was standing there in lane two, he had sighted in on the target on lane three. And all he had to do was hit the target. And he was totally in the wrong lane. He got a zero, which, um, which may, means he got a score of, of zero for the whole event. And he was disqualified. And so he lost his shot at a second gold medal. Now, don't t- feel too bad for him. He went back uh, in 2008, won that event, a couple others, and found his wife at the Olympics. So I think it worked out all right for him. But the question today, why did he lose? Why did he lose? Well, he lost because he was aiming at the wrong target, right? Let me ask you this question. I'll need some audience participation. How many of you today, sitting here in this service, desire to faithfully follow Jesus? Can I see a raise of hands? Yeah. So a majority of us here today desire to faithfully follow Jesus. By raising your hand, you just define the target of your life. You said, with my life, here's what I'm aiming at. I want to faithfully follow Jesus. So many of us live with that verse that says, well done, my good and what? Faithful servant. 
We long to hear those words. We just said, it's the desire of my life to faithfully follow Jesus. But there's a second question that's very important. What does a faithful follower of Jesus look like? If you can't answer this second question, then you have no idea if you're aiming at the right thing. I was just out at a church planning conference um, just a few few weeks ago, and, and they, they challenged us as church planters. They said, they said, if you cannot define what a faithful follower of Jesus is going to look like, you're going to get somewhere, and you're going to be doing a lot of things, and you're going to be discipling people with no end. Uh, there's no target in, at the end. And so you don't know if you're really discipling them and making them into a true follower of Jesus if you don't know what a faithful follower of Jesus looks like. And so they begin to challenge us that week to spend time defining what that looks like. You can't hit a target you're not aiming at. Right, Ed? Ed knows that. You can't hit a target you're not aiming at. So what does a faithful follower of Jesus look like? In the church culture of America, we answer the question in one of two ways a lot of times. The first way we often, often answer this question of what a faithful follower of Jesus looks like is by what a person does. And if you answer the question like that, what you're really talking about is conformity to a system or a pattern of behavior. And if this is how you answered the question, then there's a way we measure faithfulness and it's by asking another question. Am I doing the right things? So if we answer the question of what a faithful follower of Jesus looks like by saying, well, it's what they do, then we have to measure it by making sure we're doing the right things. If you're from this culture and you answer this way, then you immediately begin to answer with a list. Yes, I read the Bible. I go to church. I give 10% of my income. I go on mission trips. I try to be a good spouse. I try to be a good parent. I try to be honest. You try to do this, 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 and this. And then there's the whole list of things that you don't do, right? But that's typically the way we define discipleship within the church in North America. It's by what we do. It's a list of rules. And here's what happens. If I'm in that context and that's what discipleship means, then I'm constantly looking at my life. Am I doing all the right things? Am I not doing all the wrong things? And the reality is, no matter how hard I try, it seems like I can never measure up to the list of do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs, rules and regulations. And unfortunately, this is the way many churches today define discipleship. And they are constantly talking about getting us a commitment to do something. And if this is your understanding of what it means to follow Jesus then you're probably sitting here this morning and you're discouraged. You're frustrated. You're ready to throw in the towel. You're wondering what everybody else has that you don't have because you have this list of do's and don't and you feel like a failure most of the time. We can't measure up. And yet, sadly, that's one of the ways we measure discipleship in the church. The second way we measure discipleship in our church culture is not just by what a person does, but by what a person knows. And here's what that looks like. In this culture of discipleship, we make sure everybody learns the same set of principles or beliefs. The focus is on doctrine or teaching. And the way we measure faithfulness is by making sure that everybody can answer the same questions the same way. 
And if you come out of a culture of discipleship, what that probably would have looked like is that when you begin to indicate, hey, I have a desire to follow after Christ, I want to know God, they, they put you into a series of classes, and when you finish the classes, you're presented with a certificate of completion, and they said, hey, you are now a disciple of Jesus. Because you can say all the things that everybody else, can, else knows. And you say them the same way that everybody else says them. And because you know all the information that everybody else knows, you are now qualified to be a faithful follower of Jesus. Now let me, let me say this. It's not that following Jesus has nothing to do with the truth that we know or the way that we live our lives. It absolutely does. But both of these by themselves fall so short of the essence of Jesus in the New Testament. So much so that I want you to look, I want you to listen to what Paul wrote to a group of early Christians in the book of 2 Corinthians in the Bible. He wrote in this letter, and look what he said to them in chapter 11. He said, I am afraid that your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. The simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. This is the day we're living in in the church in North America. We have complicated and confused what it is to simply follow Jesus. Our natural tendency of the flesh is to drift to doing something. Anybody here a task-oriented person? Anybody here make lists out? No, just three of us? Okay. All right, first two services, man, they're, all the task-oriented people are there. I guess they get up early too, so um, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm a list person, all right? They make fun of me here at the church because I'm always carrying a little notebook called Field Notes. I, I have tons of them. I'm always carrying a notebook, and I'm always writing down my list, and I love doing that. It makes me feel accomplished. I'm not going to lie. I'm also the kind of person that if it wasn't on my list but I did it, I'll put it on the list and then cross it out. Do we have any of those in the house? Yeah, there's the hands. All right. That's me because I love looking at that list. And what I find is that I tend to in my, not just in my work life, but in my personal life, in my spiritual life, I drift to being all about doing things rather than being something. That's why Paul said to these early Christians, I'm afraid you're going to drift away from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Our mission here at Eastlake is to know God and win others. First part of our vision statement starts out by saying we are going to be a church that is a church that multiplies believers. And so if that's the reason Pastor Troy came from Tennessee in 2006 and partnered with Pastor Jeff to plant Eastlake Community Church, then it's pretty important that we're able to answer the question, what does a faithful follower of Jesus look like? That's why we're in the middle of a Wednesday night series called Dynamic Multiplying Disciples. And we're taking a whole, a whole series of Wednesday nights to figure that out, to flesh that out. Because we want to know as a church and as people who are making disciples, what does it look like to be a faithful follower of Jesus? And by the way, Wednesday nights are a great time. You should come out 6.30. There is a meal, so come on out. If you look at the Gospels, the life of Jesus revolved around three relationships. Every story in the Gospels will fit into one of these relationships. I, I, I challenge you to go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
heard one guy say, he said, take a pair of scissors with you and cut out every story and you can drop it into one of these relationships. Now, don't cut up your Bible, but you can, you can do that. The first relationship is this, Jesus and his relationship with the Father. Think of all the stories in the gospel that are about Jesus and his relationship with the Father. When he began his earthly ministry, what did he do? He went away and spent 40 days with the Father in the wilderness. Before Jesus chose his 12 disciples, he stayed up all night praying to the Father about who those disciples were supposed to be. How many times in the Gospels do we read the phrase that Jesus slipped away while it was dark to be alone with the Father and pray? John 17, an entire chapter in the Bible is just one conversation between God the Son and God the Father. In John 14, Jesus said this, When you hear my words, it's not my words, it's the words of the Father in me. When you see my works, it's not my works, it's the works of the Father through me. Jesus was 100% God. But in his humanity, he chose to lay aside the privileges of being God and he lived in complete and absolute dependence upon the Father so that every word he said, every work he performed, every miracle he did and every message that he preached was the Father working through him out of his dependence on the Father. Think about the stories and his relationship with the Father. But there's, there's a second relationship that we see. We see Jesus and his relationship with the disciples. Think with me, if you will, of all the stories in the Gospels where Jesus and the disciples are together. He's having meals with the disciples. He's teaching the disciples. He's rebuking the disciples sometimes. He's in a boat with the disciples. The waves begin to crash. Jesus is sleeping and the disciples panic. Lord, do you not care that we're about to perish? All of these are instances where Jesus was teaching, training, and pouring into his disciples. After the resurrection on the beach when he's having a camp out meal with his disciples. Think about the time he fed the 5,000 and the miracles actually happened in the hands of the disciples. As they would pull food out of their basket and hand it to people and look. And their basket was full again and they'd pull it out and it was full again. All of these stories are Jesus and his relationship with his disciples. But there's a third one today. And that's this, Jesus and his relationship with the world. By the word world, I mean those who didn't know God at all. Think about these stories with me. You know these stories. The majority of you have heard these stories since you were a child. Jesus and his relationship with the world. Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Zacchaeus in Luke 19. The woman and the Sumerian woman at the well in John 4. And on and on and on we could go. You find Jesus encountering people who did not know God. Vance Pittman says that Jesus lived his life in fellowship with the Father. And out of the overflow of that fellowship, it spilled into fellowship relationship with his disciples that then overflowed into relationships with people who did not know God at all so that God could make himself known to them. The life of Jesus revolved around these three relationships. 
everything he did, every story we have can be fit into one of these relationships. Now, having said that, let me, let me say this. Did you know that the Christian life is not you and me living for Jesus? Everybody just labeled me a heretic. I saw it on your faces. That's not what the Christian life is about. The Christian life is not you and me living for Jesus. The Christian life is Jesus living his life in and through me. If his life was relationship with the Father, the disciples, and the world, what's it going to look like as he lives out his life through me? It's the same three relationships. Major Ian Thomas said it this way. He said, the Christian life is nothing less than the life which he lived then, lived now by him in you. The life that Jesus lived 2,000 years ago is now being lived by him in you. Listen to me. Jesus did not call us to do something for him. That's not why he called us. He called us to follow him so that he could do something through us. And the sad reality is that a lot of people spend their life, a lot of Christians spend their life just trying to figure out what they can do for Jesus instead of letting Jesus do something through them. Jesus didn't save me and you so that we could live for him. He saved us so that he could live through us. And the life that he lived then is all that he wants to live through me now. Intimate fellowship with the Father that spills into intimate fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ and spills out of my life into relationships with people who don't know God at all so that God can make himself known to them and accomplish his mission. The life of a Jesus follower is all about relationships. This is the target. I want to faithfully follow Jesus. Well, here's the target right in front of you. Am I living in intimate fellowship with the Father? Do I have a personal relationship with God that is vibrant and growing and daily and intimate? Is that relationship with God, that intimacy with God, spilling into my fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ where I'm allowing Christ in me to live through me? And is that spilling into my relationships with people who don't know God at all so that God is literally accomplishing his mission in and through my life? My prayer is that each of us would be able to lay this paradigm of relationships over our lives and really ask the question, am I faithfully following Jesus? Stripping away all the do's and don'ts, the rights and wrongs, the rules, regulations, all the systems, and getting back, as Paul said, to the simplicity and purity of devotion to Jesus. It's so simple. He's made it so simple, and we've convoluted it. We've changed it all around. We've added all these rules and regulations. I came from a, a background where the church discipline had more authority than the Word of God. But Paul's saying, no, 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 get back to the text. Get back to the simplicity and the, the purity of just simply being devoted to Jesus. And the question before us today is, am I following him? 
following Jesus is about a relationship with God. First and foremost, it's about an intimate love relationship with God. Everything that Jesus did, every story you read, He did out of the overflow of intimacy with the Father. And what He's called you and I to today is not a religion. He's called us to a relationship with Himself. And everything that God desires to do through our lives, He'll do out of the overflow of what He's doing in our lives through our relationship with Him. Did you catch that? Everything that God wants to do in your life is not going to happen because He's giving you a list of things to do. It's going to happen out of the overflow of what He's doing in your life through your relationship with Him. In John 17, 3, Jesus defines this for us. He says this. He says, this is eternal life. All right? And then grammatically, he answers it. That they may know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus just blew our minds. You know why? Because he defined eternal life not as a destination, but as a relationship. You see, when we think about eternal life, we think about heaven. We think about going somewhere. But he's saying, no, no, no. This is eternal life that they may know you, the Father. The word know here that he uses is an interesting Greek word. It's a word that implies personal fellowship. It's an extremely relational term. It does not mean just to simply know about. This summer, we had an interesting opportunity at SMLCA during their basketball camp to uh, have the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, Frank Reich, there to speak to our, our uh, campers. And he said something that was very, very interesting to me as I stood there and I was shooting some video. He said something. He said, he said, when I was playing football, he said, a lot of people knew about me. He said, people would come up to me and they knew more of my stats than I did. He said, but they didn't know me. And what God is saying here, what what Jesus is saying here, the word he's using here is, is not that word to just simply know about, but it's to know on a deep, personal, intimate level. You ever had that moment where you know somebody, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's, it's a, a close friend, a very close friend, and you just know what they're thinking. You ever had that moment? You just immediately, something will happen and you can glance out of the corner of your eye and they're already looking at you. You guys know what I mean? Because you know them, right? God is saying, I want to have that kind of relationship with you where you are so intimate with me, you are so close to me that you just glance up and you know what I'm thinking. It's a relational term. Henry Blackaby said it this way, a love relationship with God is more important than any other single factor in your life. Christianity is not merely a religion. It is a relationship that the creator of the universe, the transcendent triune God, has invited you and I into. And the gospel gives us that relationship with God. You ask the question, what is Christianity? And we begin to list. It's going to church, giving money, reading my Bible, trying to be a good husband, wife, father, mother, and oh, and you don't do this and this and this. No, no, no. 
It is a relationship between you and God. And all, all, all those other things only make sense in the context of that relationship with God. I don't read my Bible daily because I have to check off a list of being a good Christian. I read my Bible because now I get to spend time with the author who wrote it by reading his word. And you know what's sad? There are people going through the motions of Christianity. They have the do's and the don'ts. They have the rights and the wrongs. They have all the actions. But they don't have the relationship. And Christianity at its core is not a list. It's about a love relationship with God. And the word that sums all this up is abide. Abide. You and I are to abide in Christ personally and daily. And what we've so complicated with all of our systems and religions and structures and do's and don'ts, Jesus summarizes with one sentence in a garden. If you really want to know the key to living the entire Christian life, it's in one sentence in a garden. Jesus is with his disciples before he was arrested, before his high priestly prayer. He's talking to them. And here's what he said in John 15, 5. He says, I am the, and you are the, he who abides in me, and I in him. He bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's the whole thing right there. You say, what do you mean by that? He's the vine, right? And we're the branches, right? Then he says, this is how you bear fruit. A problem with a lot of Christians today is that they think it's up to them to bear fruit. Listen to me. Fruit, bearing fruit is not up to you and I. It is not our job. In fact, in these verses, in verses 4 and 5 here in John chapter 15, the, the phrase bear fruit is not even a command. There's only one command in these verses. You know what it is? Abide. What's fruit? Fruit is the life of the vine being pushed out through the branches. We had an apple tree growing up uh, in our backyard. Dad and I would, after we'd mow the lawn on Saturdays, Dad and I'd get a big glass of water. We'd pick some apples. We'd hang out on the apple tree. It was just kind of what we did. We did that every Saturday until uh, we came home from vacation one year and our neighbor had chopped down our apple tree. There was some drama in the house about that one. Um, but you know what? What was coming out of the branches of, those, of that apple tree? Apples, right? You've got an orange tree. What's coming out? Oranges. You have a lemon tree. What's coming out? Lemons. Why? Because the fruit is the life of whatever is in the vine being pressed out through the branches. Have you ever walked up to an apple tree or a fruit tree and watched the branches just struggling to push the fruit out? No. What's the branch do? It hangs on to the vine, right? And Jesus says... I am the vine. You are the branches. If you will just hang on to me, if you will just hang on tight to me, I will press my life out through you. And what does that look like? It looks like a relationship with a father, a relationship with one another, and a relationship with the world. But it only happens if we are abiding 
in Him. I want to quickly give you the marks of the abiding life as we close today. The first mark of the abiding life is this, identity. I'm no longer my own person. My identity is in Christ. I embrace who I am in Christ and His family, the church. My identity is not, my identity is not the things that I do or do not do. My identity is in who I am in Christ. The second thing in the marks of the abiding life is obedience. Yielding moment by moment to Christ in me, living through me. Pastor Troy talked about this two weeks ago when he was talking about the Holy Spirit. And he said, the role of the Holy Spirit is to tell you, hey, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't want you to do that. I want you to come over here and I want you to do this. Or I want you to go here. It's that moment by moment obedience. It is not obedience to a list of rules. We have to get away from that. We have to get away from checking off or crossing off our tasks. But we are so task oriented. We spend most of our lives doing that. And, and he's calling us to something more. He's calling us to something deeper in obedience, obedience to his spirit and to moment by moment Christ in me living through me. The third one is pursuing the word, pursuing time in, under and around the word, alone and with others. Listen to me, you cannot have an intimate, vibrant, daily relationship with God that is deep and intimate without getting into the word of God. He wrote this so we could know Him. And yet so many times we don't even open it. And we want to tell people what we know about God. I've got a tendency sometimes when when the guys are talking sports, I'll just quickly grab my phone, look up a stat, and then I'll be like, yeah, yeah, I'll jump in on the conversation, you know, with that one stat, and then I'm back out, right? And I think a lot of people do that with their Christian, Christian walk, right? They show up on Sunday morning and they get a little nugget that they can use, but they're not in the Word. They don't know. I don't know the stats. I, I'll just freely admit that. I don't know, right? And that's how we live our Christian life. We're not in the Word. We don't know God. And God's saying, I gave you this so that you could not just know about me, but so that you can know me. Fourth thing, fourth mark of the abiding life is prayer. We've talked a lot about prayer in the last few years here at Eastlake. We've made prayer, prayer is a core value, but we've really made it a priority. You can't have a relationship with somebody without talking to them, right? Well, I guess you can, it'd be a bad one. But you can't have a relationship without talking to somebody. And yet we think that we can have this deep, intimate relationship with God, and we spend no time talking to Him. How would your spouse like that? How'd that go with your spouse if you never talked to your spouse? Would you have a good relationship? No. No, not at all. God's saying, you've got to talk to me consistently, desperately, expectantly, coming to me with your deepest cares and burdens, and and you're so intimate with me that you can cry out, Abba, Father, here are my cries, here are my problems, here's my desperation, and he hears you. mark of the abiding life, prayer. Lastly, last mark of the abiding life is intimacy. We need to understand that God's primary call on our lives is to be with Him, not just to do things for Him. 
Back in February, I was out at a church planning conference. And first session, noon on a Monday, Monday afternoon. I was sitting there, and I was there to learn. I was there to figure out how we're going to plant. Because we're planting in, the, in June, right around June of next year. We have less than a year. And I was there to figure it all out. And the opening session of this conference, the guy says this. He said, God's primary call on your life is not to plant a church. He said, God's primary call on your life is intimacy with the Father. Man, that hit me. Because like I told you already, I love tasks. I love my job. I love being here. I love getting in here. I love getting up in these rafters and messing around with these lights. I love getting under sound booths. I love it all. It it just, it does something for me. I love it. And I can be so task-oriented that I forget to abide with the Father. And you and I need to understand that God's primary call on our lives is not to go do something. It's to be with Him. To abide with Him. To know Him on a deep, personal, intimate relationship level. Henry Blackaby said, we are so activity oriented that we assume we were created for a task to perform rather than a relationship to enjoy. He did not create us to do stuff for Him. He created us to enjoy a relationship with Him. When Jesus spoke the words, follow me, what did, he, what did He mean? He was not offering an invitation to a destination. Rather, He was offering to you and I an invitation to a relationship with a person who could radically change our way of life. Pastor Troy here at Eastlake sums that up in our app program curriculum with three phrases. Connect to God. Connect to others. Go do something great. We use it in a baseball analogy. And a lot of times we spend our time running back and forth from home plate to third base. Us task-oriented people. And we wonder why our job performance isn't doing well. We wonder why our relationship with our family and our coworkers isn't great. It's because we haven't gotten to first base. We've been running the bases out of order. We haven't We haven't run to God. We haven't connected to God. In order to score, you got to connect to God first. Listen, what what I'm not saying today is that if you don't have this deep, intimate relationship, you're not a Christian. Please listen to me. I'm, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that the God of the universe is calling you and I to something deeper than just doing stuff for Him. He wants you and I so badly to enjoy our relationship with Him. And that comes by abiding in Him. So my question to you today is are you abiding in Him? Do you have that deep, personal, intimate relationship with the Father 
that out of that overflow of intimacy with Him, it affects your relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And out of that, it spills into your relationships with the world. And God is using you to reveal Himself to people who don't know Him. Are you abiding in Him today? Father, we love you. Thank you for this invitation that we have to abide in you. Oh God, I pray today that here in the sanctuary, in the chapel, those watching online, that today we would all be intimate with you. We would abide with you. Father, I pray that you would help us to get rid of our list of do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs, the rules, the regulations. Throw it all out. And to focus solely on the simplicity and the purity of being devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Dynamic, multiplying disciples. And I pray, God, that everything we do would be the overflow of our intimacy, of our time with you. As every head is bowed today in the chapel, maybe there's some of you here and you say, I don't have that relationship with God. I'm not abiding with God how I want to. You just want to slip your hands into the air. See those hands. Thank you. Yep, I see that hand. Thank you. Father, we want to abide with you. But more than that, you want us to abide with you. And so God, I pray today as we go from this place, as we go home, as we go into our work world, as we uh, do all kinds of things this week, may we spend time abiding with you. And out of that, may it affect all of our relationships brothers and sisters in the world. We love you today. We thank you for your invitation to abide with you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. For more information about Eastlake Community Church, please visit us online at eastlake-church.com or find us on your favorite social media platform at Eastlake SML. Thanks for joining us.